0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, chapter two. Uh, it's been several weeks since we began this series, but we are back in um, focusing on the the story of Daniel, not just Daniel, but Daniel and his and his three friends. and And the goal with this series, we've started the series, "Life in Babylon." How do we um, live lives that honor God, that please God, even while we live in a culture that is opposed to the things of god to the way of the way of christ um, and it is very very possible friends for us to live in in this world but not be of this world to be surrounded by ungodliness and yet not be caught up in ungodliness but instead to be a catalyst that god can use to help bring change to our culture and that's why we are here we need to have a mission of mindset we need to have this understanding that being christians means that we are called everybody say called that you and I are called to make a difference for Christ. And how do we do that? We demonstrate that Christ has made a difference in our own lives first. And it is what we've experienced that we now offer to others. Again, not to suggest that we've experienced all that we should experience in knowing Jesus. Not that we should suggest that we um, that all the change that needs to, be, needs to happen, the transformation that we need to experience is already being completed. No, we are a work in progress. God continues to work on us through his Holy Spirit. But we are called to demonstrate, to testify, to display to a watching world what a relationship with Christ really is all about. And in doing so, that others are drawn to him as well. That there is a desire in their hearts to see uh, Christ do in them what they have seen him do in us. But it is very, very possible for us to live in uh, a world uh, that, is, that, is, that is made up of or, or dominated by ungodliness and yet still be able to stand. Daniel and his friends demonstrate that. And so um, what I want to do today is touch on chapter 2 of, of the book of Daniel. We ask you to read that. If you were here last week in the announcements, we ask you to please read that chapter in preparation for today's message. It's a long, long chapter. If you didn't get a chance to read it, I would encourage you to do so at a later time. Um, but I want us to focus on an, an, an exchange that took place between the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and these four young men. So in week one, we, we talked about what happened when Dan and his friends first came into Babylon. They were, a group of, they were amongst a group of people who were exiled from Judah. And they were brought into this new culture, new environment, uh, a, a, a nation that did not know God, did not serve God. And, and, the, and uh, the, the king attempted to indoctrinate and to assimilate these uh, people from Ju- from Judah into Babylonian culture, and what that involved was teaching them the language, teaching them the customs, teaching them their ways. Um, and, and I would dare say, I'm sure the Scripture doesn't necessarily say this explicitly, but we can imply based on what the Bible teaches that that there was also an attempt to indoctrinate the the the, 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 the exiles from Judah into the way of life, the way of thinking, the beliefs, uh, the customs, the values of the Babylonians. And the Scripture tells us that. Daniel and his friends were amongst those who were brought into this environment and they were expected to basically fit in with the culture that they were in. And one of the ways that, that they experienced this was the king offered them food from his table. Now, um, you would you would think that you know getting food from the king's table meant you were getting the best of the best. That whatever the king eats is what you're eating. Well, Daniel and his friends had a problem with that because it wasn't just so much the food, it was what the food represented. In fact, Scripture tells us that the food that the Babylonians ate was food that was dedicated to idols. These four young men understood this clearly. So when they were offered this food, as tempting as it was, as great as it looked, and as incredible as it must have smelled, these four men refused. They said they could not eat this because in doing so they would be defiling themselves. Now, of course, it came as a shock to those who were uh, in charge of their care, their well-being. And the scripture tells us that Daniel and his friends essentially gave these men, uh, they gave their, their, those in charge of them the opportunity to test them and to see whether um, they should require them to continue to, eat the, to have to eat the king's food or to basically employ a different approach. And in doing so, here's what happened. The Bible says that when Daniel and his friends told the handler, uh, let us eat vegetables and let you drink water for the next several days. And after you can evaluate and, and whatever happens, happens. That after that period of testing, that, that they were sharper, they were uh, more alert, more, more focused than anyone else. And so the, the scriptures show us that even in that environment where they were tempted to do what they believed would dishonor God, these four men chose to honor God. And what we learned is that for you and I, in the world, though we are not of the world, we must always have this mindset that our attitude, our actions, our words must always be focused on honoring God. We don't just do something because everybody else is doing it. We don't embrace a way or or practice because it is what culture says we should. We must always ask ourselves the question, is what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, the decision I'm about to make, is it going to honor God? We must resolve to honor God. Daniel and, and his three friends excuse me, knew God's instructions. They found accountability in the form of relationship with each other. So they were able to hold each other accountable. And they trusted that God would endorse their obedience to his instructions. And so the bottom line is, when you and I choose God's way, irregardless of how attractive the world's way may be, friends, you will never go wrong doing it God's way you will never go wrong trusting God you will never go wrong following his lead in your lives now today I want to talk about how those who love Jesus ought to respond when we are confronted by the confusion of a culture that fails to acknowledge God I want you to think about that again we are called to be in the world but not of the world what do we do when we are confronted by the confusion of a culture that fails to acknowledge God I want to start by sharing from Proverbs 9, verse 10. This is what the writer says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What is the writer here suggesting? That the key to living and to doing right is to acknowledge God for who He is. We cannot live right, we cannot do right, we cannot act right if we do not know God. God is the definition of righteousness. He's the definition of right living, right thinking. And so anything that excludes him uh, falls short of the standard that God has set for you and I. We cannot live right outside of living for God. It is impossible. No matter how hard we try, we can never live right if we're not living for God. We cannot live right if we do not know him. The influence or the inference from the scripture is that when people refuse to acknowledge God, wisdom is absent from their lives, and in its place, chaos and confusion take, t- take root. When God is not allowed to be Lord of our lives, what happens is wisdom that is necessary for living right, for acting right, for doing right, is absent, and in its place, friends, is always chaos and confusion. Always chaos and confusion. And we see this illustrated in chapter 2 where the scripture tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar, this man that was at that time, at least during his reign, was considered probably the most powerful king in his region. No one was like him. No one was equal to him. He had the final say. He could do whatever he wanted. Nobody could challenge him. And yet in the midst of that, there was chaos and confusion. And we see that spring up. In, the, in in an instance when the scripture says the king has a dream, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in and this dream is so so peculiar that he wakes up and he does not remember what the dream was about. Have you ever had those kind of dreams before, where you woke up and you're like, man, I did not sleep well, I had a I had a, I had a bad dream, but I don't remember the details, you know? And and the king had this dream and he could not remember what this dream was about, but all he knew was that it left him feeling feeling weird, if, if left him feeling, feeling disturbed, feeling troubled, there was something about this dream that, that just challenged his peace and he could not sit still. And the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar called all his wise men in and he says, hey guys, uh, you know, I trust you guys. You guys have been by my side all of these years. When I come, when I come to you for advice, you always giving me great advice. Well, I have a problem. I had a dream last night and this dream bothered me so much. I need to know what this dream means. And of course, the gentlemen are like, yeah, absolutely, king. Like always, man, we're here to serve you. Tell us what you had a dream about, and we'll tell you what it means. And the king is like, yeah, that's the problem. I don't remember. And I need you to tell me what that dream was. Now, you had to imagine. I don't know if you have a vivid imagination like I do, but you had to imagine what was going on with those wise men. They're looking at each other like, did he say, what did he say? Did he, did he just ask us to tell him what he, what he dreamt? And you can imagine knowing how powerful and, and, and probably you get a sense that um, how quick to get angry Nebuchadnezzar was. These men are afraid and they tell the king, king, I mean, live forever. But what you're asking us to do is impossible. We cannot do what you're asking us to do. Only the gods can, can do this. And they don't live among men. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar hears this and he lips he gets angry oh so really this is what you guys are all about so you want me to tell you what i dreamed then you can make up some interpretation for what this dream is supposed to mean to suit what i want to hear no you're going to tell me what that dream was and you're going to tell me what that dream meant and if you do not do that i am going to take your lives and notice scripture tells us nebuchadnezzar was not joking he was very serious about what he intended to do And because these men could not tell him what this dream was, Nebuchadnezzar ordered that every one of the wise men be executed. And so the scripture says that all of his minions begin to gather the wise men to begin to execute them. And of course, word gets to Dan and his friends that this is what the king has decided. And the scripture tells us that Daniel seeks the king's attention to find out what exactly is going on and what can we do to, to, to serve the king. And, the, and so the scripture says that when the king told him what was going on, um, Daniel asked the king, give us opportunity to go and pray about this and then come back, with, come back to you with an answer. And what the Bible says Daniel and his friends did is they went and they prayed. They prayed, they sought God's face, and then God revealed to them what the dream was and what the dream meant. And then they came back to the king and they told the king, this is what The dream is and this is what it represents and in that moment this is the lesson that I believe you and I can take from that scenario that even though they were they found themselves surrounded by chaos they found themselves surrounded by confusion because of a king who was angry that his so-called wise men could not uh, help him deal with a, a very peculiar issue that these four young men remembered the God they served and because they remembered the God they served And remember that he reigns over the chaos that they experienced. They were able to flourish in a very, very difficult environment. Why do I bring this up first this morning? What's the point or what's the relevance to our lives? The reality is, is scripture tells us, and I would encourage you, when you get a chance, go back and read Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is one of those very powerful chapters that the Apostle Paul writes where he begins to paint for us this picture of the conflict that exists between humanity and divinity, and what, 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 and the reason why humanity is at such great odds with divinity, and what, what God has done about resolving humanity's issue. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul points out in chapter one is this issue of people's failure to acknowledge God, and that when we fail to acknowledge God, what happens is that God gives us up. To, um, to, 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 to thinking, to, to a mindset, to, to, to values that, that are, are totally the opposite of what he wants for us. And it's not necessarily that God is giving up on people, but God is showing us that when we rely on ourselves, friends, it never ends well. It is chaos, it is confusion, it is trouble, it is distress. There is no peace in choosing the way of the flesh. And what Paul paints for us is this picture of of choosing to follow God because why? When we do so, the peace that we seek, the peace that we're looking for, we find in Him. Nebuchadnezzar did not know God. And he had no regard for God. How do we know this? When he plundered Judah, specifically when he ransacked the temple, all of the the items that were in the temple that were meant to be used for worshipping God, Nebuchadnezzar took them back to Babylon. They were meant to be for personal use. In, that, in, in doing so, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to suggest that his God was superior to the God of the, of the people of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar had no reverence for God. He did not know God. And, and yet we discovered that as, as, as much as in the world's eyes he may have been successful, he may, he may have been powerful, he was a man who had no peace. He was a man who was always in conflict with himself. And invariably, because he, had a, he dealt with a lot of insecurities, About himself, trying to fill or fulfill a void or fill a void that that nothing can fill, only God can fill. He found himself acting in a way that was creating chaos for others. I mean, imagine what would have happened if he had had his way and he he had all these wise men killed. All because he had a dream and he could not tell what that dream was. I mean, in, in, in the times you and I live in, we see so much chaos and confusion, especially here in the United States, with, with the cultural wars that are taking place, where there, there's there's a there's a battle over over values, over beliefs. And, and, and again, for us as Christians, I mentioned this when we first started this series, it is easy for us to have this mindset that, well, I just need to stand on the sidelines. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to, to, to make my opinion or my views, views heard. Why? Because I, I just want to live my Christian life. I don't want to make any trouble. I don't want to cause any waves. You know, when, when we're called to speak up, to stand up for righteousness, we'd rather be quiet. But then when 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 that chaos and confusion meets us at our doorstep, then we're scrambling, we don't know what to do. We need to take a stand, friends. What Daniel and his friends demonstrate to us is this that even in a foreign culture, even in a pagan culture that did not know the God that they served, that these four men were committed, committed to still living for God. It didn't matter where they were, where they were, who they were with, or what they were doing, they were gonna honor God with their lives. We have to have that same mindset. So that even in our jobs, in, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our homes, that we are committed to upholding righteousness. And it's not just, it's, it's not just trying to live quietly, but about letting others understand that, that a relationship with Christ will change their lives or will make a difference in their world. And we want people to know Him. Why? Because we don't want them to be lost. We, we cannot afford to be quiet and, and, and think that it's going to be okay. We are on mission and we are called to make a difference. So again, when you and I are surrounded by chaos and confusion, when, when, when the world, as it were, is, is, is feeding on itself, why? Because it's looking to address an issue or a need that only God can resolve. We need to remember that we serve a God in heaven who reigns over that chaos, and because he reigns over that chaos, we don't have to get caught up in all of the confusion and chaos that's happening around us. We can, we, we, that, that, that chaos and confusion is an opportunity for us as the church to rise up and to say, God, speak through me. God, use me to stand up for righteousness. Because here's the thing. When we speak up for righteousness, when we stand up for what is right, we will be noticed. We will be noticed. And we need to get away from this mindset of, of, of trying to, to, to kind of just stay in our own neat little corner. No, we are called to be light. Even Jesus said it himself. You don't take a lamp and light it and then put it under a basket. No, you put it in a prominent place where it will do what? It will give light to everything around it. That's what you are. That wherever God places you, that the light of Christ is shining through you. He is the one that places you there. He is the one that puts you in that environment where, as you are shining for Him, others are drawn to that light. Again, it's not you they are drawn to, it is Him that they are drawn to, so that they can experience Him as well. But we must recognize the opportunity for us to, in the midst of chaos and confusion in the culture, because we refuse to acknowledge God, our culture refuses to acknowledge God, that it is an opportunity for us to celebrate who He is and to, and, and, and to proclaim His name and to proclaim His way so that others can know Him. So so there's three things I want to share with you quickly this morning. Three ways that these these four young men responded to what was happening that I believe serves as an example of how we should respond when we face chaos and confusion from a culture that does not know God. Number one, the scripture shows us that we are to act with prudence. In verse 14, the scripture tells us that when Daniel and his friends heard that the king had signed a decree ordering for the execution of all of his wise men, that these three young, these four, I keep saying three, these four young men, um, scripture says, handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Everybody say wisdom and discretion. So in other words, they didn't just overreact. They didn't just react to what was happening around them. They didn't just, they didn't, they, 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 they didn't, they didn't, they didn't react the way that the wise men reacted. So again, think about this. These wise men who could not tell the king what he dreamed, let alone tell, it, tell them what it meant, now find themselves facing the long end of, of the executioner's sword. And they are, you have to imagine that they are panicking. Because in their minds, we have no way out. I mean, there is no way that we can get out of this. The king wants us to do what is impossible. And we cannot do this. So literally, we are going to die. And you have to imagine what was going through the minds of these these wise men, and yet for Daniel and his friends it was very different. Scripture says that when they heard what was happening they responded with wisdom and with discretion. The opportunity that you and I have being in the world, though we are not of the world, is that when we are confronted by, surrounded by, the chaos and confusion of a world, a culture that does not know him, that we also respond with prudence. That we do, not, we do not panic like the world panics. Why? Because we serve a God who reigns over the chaos and confusion that surrounds us. That you and I can be calm in the storm. That in crisis that we are at peace. Why? Because our trust is in God. It's not in ourselves. It's not in government. It's not in our neighbors. Our trust is in God. And it is important for us to embrace that philosophy this morning that when we face confusion and chaos and culture, we must always act with wisdom and with discretion. I want you to hear what the writer of Proverbs 8, verse 12 says. And I'm reading from the Amplified Translation this morning. He writes, I, speaking in the third person, I, godly wisdom, I reside with prudence. What does prudence mean? It means good judgment. It means moral courage, astute common sense. And because I reside with prudence, he writes, I find knowledge and discretion in other words the idea is this that when you and i are confronted with the things that are happening around us in culture that we are looking to god for direction as to how we're to respond that we look to him to define our response to the things that are happening around us how many times we have conversations with people and and we hear them lament about the, the 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 things that they're dealing with the struggles that they're having and 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 the sense of hopelessness that they feel What we are called to do in that moment is to bring hope. And again, it's not hope in the fact, in in the idea or the sense that we have the answer or we have the solution, but that our hope is in God. And that when we go through similar circumstances that we can trust God that he's with us. Yesterday, we had our men's outreach at the Fondrian campus. And I wanna thank all the men that were able to be a part. Brother Michael, thank you for your leadership in helping us put this together. But yesterday during the, during, the, during the outreach, one of the brothers at Fondren, Brother Sonny and I were, were canvassing the neighborhood and we, we went to different locations, car washes and, and uh, washateria's and gas stations, just talking to people. And at, a, at one of the washeterias near the Fondren campus, I, I came across a gentleman um, and he is he's, he's the retiree. And we began to just talk and, and just talking about what we were doing with the men's outreach because he was asking what's it about. And, and of course he was, he was pleased to see that some such a thing was even being provided for men in our community. And we eventually got to talking about just the state of our society. And, and he began to lament about just, you know, the struggles he's had. He lost his son two years ago, lost his wife last year. And then now it's him having to raise his granddaughter by himself. And he was just talking about all of the different struggles and challenges that he's having to face as basically a new parent again, having to shield his granddaughter from all the influences in culture and the world and and just talking about how we we really need to to hold on to God and to make it the anchor of our lives. And and I was encouraged to hear this man say these things in spite of the fact that he's gone through tragedy after tragedy and yet his mentality is, I'm going to be okay. Why? Because God is with me. The, 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 the hope that you and I have as believers, the confidence that you and I have as believers is this that no matter what may be happening to us or around us, we have peace. Jesus said to us, Peace I give you. Not the, not the kind of peace the world gives you. The world's peace is based on circumstance, it is based on what is happening in the moment. The world says to you and I, When you're going through crisis or chaos, there is no peace. You have no reason to be joyful. You have no reason to be hopeful. But yeah, what God says is no matter what's happening to you, no matter how dire it might be, you have hope, you have peace. Why? Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So your, your hope, your, your joy, your happiness is not based on what may be happening to you at, this, at, at that moment. It is based on this confidence that, that God has your back, that your heavenly Father is watching over you. He cares for you. This was what Daniel and his friends had. This is why they could respond to such terrible news. With calmness. With calmness. Why? Because they knew the God that they served. And they knew that no matter how bad things may look on the surface, he still sits on the throne and he reigns over the chaos in their lives. Here's the second point this morning. We discovered from their example that we must invite God's help through prayer. Bible says to us in verse 18, when these men went to the king, they asked the king for time to come back with a response to his request. This is what they did in verse 18. Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. It wasn't a, hey guys, we really need to figure something out. You know, we need to, maybe we need to kind of do some reverse psychology in the king, ask him some, you know, some questions that may kind of hint to what he he may have dreamt about. No, they didn't have time for that. And because they knew the God they served, the first thing they did was they sought him. Because they knew that even if nobody else can tell the king what he dreamt, God can. Because God knows all things. And they urged the Lord, pleading for mercy concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Again, when we are surrounded by chaos and confusion and we are confronted by the, all of the stuff going on in the world, again, it's easy for us to find ourselves either thinking to ourselves, well, maybe I should just kind of go along or kind of stand on the sidelines. And all the while God is saying, no, I'm not asking you to go along. I'm not asking you to stand on the sidelines. I'm asking you to be engaged. But we are engaged not in our own strength or power, but we're engaged to do the power that God gives us. And that we appropriate by Prayer. Prayer, friends, is an important tool in the, in the arsenal that God has given you and I for, for engaging the world we live in. Scripture tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, we are not fighting flesh and blood. When we see sin expressed in the, the decisions, the choices, the attitudes, the lifestyles of others, we don't respond with human intellect. We don't respond you know, based on a human approach or a human way of seeing things. We choose to respond the way God sees it and the way God wants us to respond to that issue. And that we discern by prayer. That's why I love what Romans 12 verse 12 says, Be happy in your hope. Do not give up when trouble comes. Do not let anything stop you from praying. This idea that when we go through difficulties, maybe, maybe hopefully, I'm, I know I'm not the only one who's experienced this. When you go through crisis, many times the last thing in your mind is to pray. Am I the only one? You're going through difficulty. You're in a, your, your, mind, your mind is focused on how do I fix this? How do I resolve this? How do I get past this? How do I overcome this? And so you're, you're trying to figure a way out. Whereas as, as one who has put, put their trust in the Lord, as one who believes that God reigns over the chaos that we are surrounded by, the response is we keep praying, we keep seeking the Lord, we keep, we keep, we keep crying out to him as Daniel and his friends did for mercy. God, do not allow me to get caught up in what is happening in my culture. God, do not allow me to get caught up in the, in the sin that, is, that surrounds me. God, help me to stand. Help me to speak truth. Help me to stand by you. Help me to be faithful to you. We do not stop praying. We do not stop seeking our Lord. We do not stop seeking him for his direction. Why? Because it is in praying, it is in seeking him that we find the help we need. Daniel and his friends, when they sought the Lord, God stepped in and God met them. And in the same way, when you and I seek the Lord in times of crisis and chaos, and we go to our Heavenly Father, He will answer. He will meet us in our place and point of need. God will give direction. God will point you in the way that you should go. He will show you what what He wants you to do. When Scripture says to us that we should trust God with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understanding, what does that mean? It means don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't think that you can do this without God. He's saying when you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will, he will direct you. That's God's promise to us. So the, the, the work that, the, 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 the part that we have to play is the part of seeking him. It's the part of asking him, calling on his name, seeking his help for that situation that we're in. That's that scenario that we find ourselves in that we are unsure how to respond. And be confident that when we do so, God will respond. We do not stop praying. It is the enemy that wants you to think, what's the point of praying? Figure it out. Do something. Ask others. Look to others. Look to what the world says you should do. When, when God is saying to us, no, seek me. Seek my face. Seek my way. Seek my direction. And I will point you in the way you should go. And here's the last point. These, three, these four young men acknowledged God through Praise. The Bible says that when these four young men began to cry out to the Lord, that very night, God revealed to them what the king saw in his dream and what that dream meant. And this is what those men did. They did not run out of their houses saying, let's go talk to the king, let's go tell the king that that we know we, we have the answer to his problem. No, what they did first was they began to praise him. This is what verse 19 says. The secret was made known to Daniel in a special dream during the night, and he gave honor and thanks to the God of heaven. We go to our Heavenly Father. We ask Him to help us in our time of need. And when He does so, we first acknowledge Him. No matter where you are, what you're doing, or the situation you find yourself in, when you seek God for direction and He gives you direction, you stop and you give Him thanks. doesn't matter where you are. You stop. And you acknowledge him for what he has done. That's what Dan and his friends did. Again, because in their mindset, they understood that the God that they call Abba Father, he reigns over the chaos that surrounds them. And so when he addresses that chaos by providing a way out of that chaos, the first thing you do is you praise. The first thing you do is you acknowledge him. Thank you, God. For direction, Thank you, God, for opening that door. Thank you, God, for making a way where there seems to be no way. Thank you, God, for making provision. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. God, thank you for delivering me. That's what we do when we recognize that the God we serve reigns over the chaos and confusion that surrounds us. Hear what Psalm 71 verse 15 and 16 says. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds and yours alone. What the psalmist says is, when God responds, when God shows himself to be strong and mighty in your life and in your circumstance and in your situation, your first response is to praise. Acknowledge him. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for revealing to me the way I should go. Thank you for stepping in and for intervening in my situation. We acknowledge him for who he is. We acknowledge him for what he's done. And when we do so, what we're doing is we're painting a picture for others of how we are to respond when when we find ourselves in chaos and confusion. Jesus told us that in this world we're going to have trouble. But he promised us, he says, if we take heart, when we take heart, we do so knowing that he has overcome this world for us. You may be going through a situation today where you may be may find yourself just struggling with how you're going to respond and what, what's, what's going to come of the situation you're in if, if there's hope, if there's a way out, if God, if God is even going to answer your prayers, your cries. The same God you and I call Abba Father is the same God who met these four young men. And the night when a powerful king, for all intents and purposes, was, was set on taking their lives. And yet these four young men looked to their heavenly father and he stepped in and he rescued them and he delivered them and, he, and, and in doing so demonstrated to a, 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 an ungodly king that there is a God who reigns over the affairs of men. And, and that, that's how it should be in our lives as well, friends. That as you and I respond to what's happening around us that others are seeing and when they see that we're going through crisis and they're, they're wondering, are they going to make it through? When, when they see us in the midst of waiting for God to bring breakthrough, they see us calm. They see us at peace. They see us not, not panicking. Uh, they, they, they hear us singing God's praises, talking about the goodness of God in our lives and how we know that God will bring us through to a desired end. And, and they're sitting there and they're just wondering, why, why are you not panicking? Why, why, are you not, why are you not afraid? Why are you not worried? And then we can say to them, I trust God. I have to worry about what's happening around me. My heavenly father reigns over all of this chaos. And because he does so, I am at peace. And I know that God will meet me in my place and point of need. That can be your response today. Your response today in saying, God, meet me in my place and point of need. Do what only you can do in my life. So that when I'm confronted by those things that that could very well steal my joy, steal my peace, steal my faith, I can respond to them with conviction, not fear. Conviction. Conviction that is based on the knowledge that, that the God you call Abba Father, He is not only God, there is no one like Him, there is no one equal to Him, but He sees your need. He has a plan for you. He will see you through that need so that His name is glorified for Him. And, and, and so for us, that should always be our mindset when we go through difficulties. Don't, don't panic, respond with prudence, with wisdom. One of the things that the Lord, as I was preparing this message, one of the things that the Lord, I felt the Lord impressed my heart, and I posted it on my, on my Facebook page, was that you never act out of somebody else's reaction. Because that's what the world wants us to do. The world reacts and wants us to act in response to its reaction. And God is saying, no, you do not act out of the world's reaction. You look to me and allow me to order your steps so that I can bring you to the end I desire for you. And when I bring you to that end, there'll be no doubt in anybody's mind that it was God that did it. Let that be your focus, your purpose, your commitment. Every single day, when things are going great, when things are, going, are, are not so great, that your focus is always on Him. Why? Because He reigns over all. I would say this morning, it's very important. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, realize today that, that one of the greatest decisions you can make is to follow Christ. Can I tell you that the that, that, that joy that I, I have is not based on what I have or don't have, what I can do or cannot do. There's a joy that I have, friends, knowing that, that I'm a child of God. And, and it's not because I, 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 I live a good life, I do good things. It's, it's because I recognize that that there's this thing called sin that separates me from relationship with God and God did something about that by sending his son Jesus down the cross for me. This is God's response to the crisis of sin in my life. And in doing so, Jesus gives me hope and he gives me joy and he's changed my life. And there's so many here this morning who would say the same thing, that he has changed our lives. He has given us a peace and a joy that this world could never give us. And yet maybe there's somebody here today who would say, Pastor John, I don't have that. I don't have that, and I, I, I want—I want what only He can provide. I want to fall into today I want to trust my life into into His hands. I want—I want to live for Him, and I want Him to give me what this world cannot give me. Today is the opportunity for you to say, "Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Be be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I believe You died on the cross to pay for my sins, and that through You I am forgiven. Through Your sacrifice, my sin that has been paid." and in 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 place of condemnation i i i'm i'm a child of god i have forgiveness and i'm embraced by a heavenly father who loves me dearly and wants me to walk in that love every single day and nothing will make me more happy than to pray with someone today to embrace christ as lord and savior i want to invite everyone to please bow your heads with me as we conclude this part of the service heavenly father i just want to thank you this morning for the opportunity that we've had Lord, as, we, as we've gone through this series, and I'll be aware in the beginning of this series, but Lord, as we've gone through this series so far, God, we have learned so many important lessons from the life of Daniel and his friends that, that serve as an example for how we should live when we are confronted, Lord, by the chaos and confusion of a world that does not know you, of a culture that does not know you. God, so many times, Lord, we we take inventory of what's happening around us, and and Lord, there is much, Lord, that we can... You know commonly speaking be discouraged be dismayed be worried be fearful about but yet that's not what you ask us to to do that's not the response you want for us lord you ask us to respond with conviction father a conviction that is based on a knowledge lord that that the father we that the, the god we call father the one we call savior lord he reigns over the chaos and confusion that surrounds us and because he reigns we can respond to that chaos and confusion with conviction with peace with hope with confidence that our heavenly father will, will will do what is according to his perfect will concerning each one of us god i pray that every single day you would help with your people god to to walk in lockstep with you holy spirit as you lead us uh, that god rather than respond with fear or anxiety that we respond with with boldness and courage we look to you for direction father uh, god we don't just react to what's happening around us lord we allow your spirit to lead our response. God, we stand on your promise, Lord. We, we, we seek your face in prayer and in inter- intercession. And not just only for our needs, but even for the needs of others around us, Lord, who might be, might be struggling to know how to deal with what they're facing, what they're confronted with, God, that we can stand in the gap for them. And God, we can encourage them to trust you, to look to you, to lean on you, God. Because we are confident, Lord, that you are not... You're not, you're, not, you're not a dead God. You're, you're, you're alive, God. You live, God. You, 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 you know our needs. And, and God, you know what's best concerning our needs. And, and God, when we put our trust in you, our trust is never misplaced. That God, we can be able to show others that, that trusting you, God, is worth it. And that God, when we see you, see you move in our lives, when we see you move on our behalf, we can rejoice and we can testify to your goodness. Help us be a people, Father, who are committed, Lord, to to demonstrate into a watching world that we serve a God who reigns over all.